Welcome to all our participants. It's six minutes past four. Recognizing that we have participants who are joining from across the globe, I'd like to say good morning, uh, good afternoon, good evening to everyone, and the most welcome. My name is Solomi Awidi. I work with the Refugee Law Project and uh, within the Conflict Transitional Justice and Governance Program. I'll be your host and moderator for today. And I'd like to really once again say thank you, thank you so much. And thank you for you know hanging in there for even the four minutes. Given that we have a few minutes uh, on, we I'll go right into why we are here today. The Zoom we are on right now is a Zoom meeting really looking at Ugandan perspectives on the ICC decision in the Dominic Owen case. In terms of participation that we have today and how our agenda goes, we'll have welcome remarks briefly from Dr. Chris Dolan, the direct executive, the director of Refugee Law Project, and who will give acknowledgments and a brief overview of the work that ROP has been done directly around work on prosecutorial justice and the transitional justice. Uh, we'll have experiences from and voices from victim representatives and then have a few moments for questions and answers and go straight into feedback for that. So without wasting any more time, the background of this conversation is really the 4th of February 2021 trial chamber of the ICC's conviction of Dominic Owen, who was a former commander with the Lord's Resistance Army. You know, he was convicted of 61 counts out of uh, the 70 that he was uh, accused of. And this was really with crimes against humanity and uh, war crimes, including torture, enslavement, attempted murder, murder, outrages upon personal dignity, destruction of poverty, of property, forced marriage, forced pregnancy, forced pregnancies, which is the first time ever the ICC has successfully done this, as well as prosecution, uh, uh, prosecution and um, pilot committed during attacks on internally displaced persons camps in Abok, Lokodi, Odek, and Kajule. And this was really between 2002 and 2005. So today, this Zoom takes us beyond the courtroom. We are here to focus on the voices of the victims, you know, from this two-decade war between the LRA and the government of Uganda. Before we get right into it, I would like to just share with all of us that this Zoom will be recorded and really for future use by Refugee Law Project and the, and the CSIW. So right now, I'll go straight into welcoming Dr. Chris Dolan, who will welcome us to this conversation, as well as give a brief overview of, of who RLP is. Dr. Chris, you are welcome. Thank you very much, Solomi, and a warm welcome to everybody. What an amazing turnout for, for this call and for this meeting. Um, <clears throat> I, I think certainly on behalf of Refugee Law Project, I would like to welcome you. I think I can also welcome you on behalf of the Conjugal Slavery and War Partnership, which we have been part of with Annie Bunting and many others for at least five, six years now. Um, I'd like to say a thank you to Annie for proposing that we should co-host such a meeting. Um, I think it's timely. It's uh, clearly quite a, a major decision that has been reached or a verdict has been reached. Obviously, it's provoking a lot of discussion and we felt this would be a good space to air some of that discussion. As I say, our partnership goes back some time with funding from what is pronounced SHRC, SSHRC in Canada and the DGF, the Democratic Governance Facility here in, in Uganda as well. Um, and for us as Refugee Law Project, it's, uh, you know, the whole process is one that we have been I would say are walking alongside for, for quite some years now as well. Um, we've done field work in 
ODEC in Lukodi in Pajule, victim consultations. We have sent victims identified in those places from those places for medical support. We continue to do group therapy discussions with survivors. We've had conversations around the, the Ugandan TJ policy with all its strengths and weaknesses. Um, we have engaged in memorialization activities. We feel as, as RLP very closely involved in the process. I should also add, we've also had discussions with the defense uh, in this case, and that's something maybe we should come back to towards the end of, of this meeting. But um, in the meantime, I welcome you all. And as I say, it's an amazing range of people I see online, many faces and names that I haven't seen for several years. So it's a particular pleasure to see you there as well. And yeah, I think I, let me stop there in the interest of time. Thank you, Solomon. Today we are joined by um, Priscilla Alim. Priscilla is a member of the Legal Representative for Victims in the Dominic Wen case that was before uh, the ICC. And uh, we're going to have Priscilla share with us briefly, you know, what uh, the, the perspectives are, but also what is the way forward for them as a team. Priscilla is a Ugandan lawyer working in the field of, as a field officer with the legal representatives for victims and in the Owen case. And she has interviewed, consulted with several victims and several clients to ensure that their views and concerns are reflected throughout the trial. And uh, alongside Priscilla is a team of three who will also be engaging with us today and sharing uh, their experiences. We have Vincent Oyet. Vincent Oyet is a teacher by profession, a resident of uh, Lokodi, one of the four locations that is very central to the Dominic Wen case. Uh, he also serves as a secretary for victims of Lokodi and has been engaging as a focal point person with the ICC field outreach office in creating awareness and screening of, of the ICC trial of Dominic Wen. Vincent is also a survivor of the Lokodi attack. So he will be sharing with us perspectives uh, from what, where he sees the case and uh, the verdict. We will also be hearing from Grace Achan Ogwal. Grace is a survivor and a victim of abduction at the age of 14. She spent eight years in captivity until she escaped, you know, returned home and was joined with her family. She currently works with women and children affected by war, focusing on securing financial futures of children born from forced marriages uh, during conflict, but uh, by connecting them with families of their fathers in as much as is possible. We will also hear from Alex Sodom. Alex was abducted uh, at a young age as well from Samuel Baker in Bulu, and he successfully escaped and returned home. Alex currently works with the Ministry of Tourism in Uganda, Wildlife and Antiquities, under the Department of Museums and Monuments. And he is a very passionate advocate for memorialization as a critical uh, aspect of documenting narratives of past atrocities. So that is the team we will be hearing from. We also, like Dr. Cruz already mentioned, have a team of uh, commentators who will, towards the end of this conversation, actually engage with us on some topics. So we have Crystal and himself as one of our resource persons on this call. We have uh, Annie Bunting, as well as Luke Moffett, who will be joining us later on. Without wasting any more time, I'd like to turn to Priscilla, uh, Priscilla Aling on this call, and really to just find out from Priscilla, from the work that you have been doing, moving around and engaging with 
with victims and victim communities as a field officer with the legal representatives for victims. You know, how has, how has working with victims and victim participation been useful in the process of, of this trial? But also what lessons can we draw from this in terms of the verdict that was passed down? Thank you, Solomi. Thank you, Chris Dolan. And uh, hello to everyone who has joined us today. Um, thank you for that introduction, uh, Solomi. I, I hope everyone had the opportunity to hear my name, but I'll repeat it for the benefit for those who joined us later. My name is Priscilla Aling. I uh, work with the legal representatives for victims in the Ongwen case, and I, our team represents about 2,600 of the, the 4,100 victims who uh, participated and continue participating in this trial. Uh, that is just to give us a bit of context. Our team is led by uh, Joseph Kwenyu Manova and Francisco Cox. Regarding the process of the trial, when it started in 2016, I think one important thing was for us to learn and to unlearn some of the you know, conceptions and misconceptions that we had prior to engagement. So our very first engagement taught us a lot, and it also helped to shape our strategy on engagement to ensure that, one, we we have a um, clear understanding between the victims participating and ourselves, and that meant um, on the side of victims, them learning what the implication of participation is. That includes continuous engagements, you know, and sometimes there's fatigue, there's so many questions that are asked over and over again, but that was one of the most important things because many of you are aware for victims counsel our role is to to represent the interest of the victims so without sharing that continuous engagement with them we wouldn't have any you know ground to stand on before the trial so that was one thing and then the other thing was also to manage the expectations of the victims because after a, you know 20 years of conflict and then or nearly a decade of engaging with different CSOs different entities there's so, there's so much that has been built in terms of expectations and, you know, what they think it entails. So that was another thing that we had to, you know, talk about and get make sure that we're on the same page. We know what is expected and what can be achieved at each stage of the trial. And then on our side, uh, one thing that we uh, also had to learn was to you know, building that relationship with the clients or with the victims, because one, you need to make sure that everyone gets an opportunity to engage. Everyone gets an opportunity for their voice to be heard. So how we're going to do that and uh, just to build that relationship for that, so that each and every person is comfortable enough to be able to open up. Because as many of you who have engaged with people or even, you know, just with random strangers, you know, it's not easy for people to open up about the experiences, you know, when there's no relationship. So that was one of the things and it took you know, months and years for some people, but eventually that was very significant for our engagement. And that is something that, you know, we continue to learn from. The other thing is also to identify and recognize the needs beyond prosecutorial justice that everyone is chasing. Yes, we have all these people that are participating in the trial, but beyond that, they have needs, medical needs, economic needs, 
And in some instances, they were very important and they came out above and beyond what we're discussing at a particular point. So that meant that we had to also wear a different hat beyond the one of legal representatives. We had to become resource mobilizers. We had to start identifying different CSOs, different uh, organizations that are, you know, are providing the different sort of services that are available. And one of the things that I recall us doing in the very beginning was uh, visiting all the trust fund for victims partners and identifying where the areas of um, intervention is so that we can share that information with victims so that they know that if I have such and such a challenge, this is where you might get such support. So that's another thing that we had to learn. And then also make sure that we are in position to do our work we needed to continuously learn. I remember attending a, a training on how to interview uh, victims of sex and gender-based violence so that I am in position to be able to do this, you know, because many of the victims have, uh, you know, faced that. And then I also remember that our team talked to some of um, some experts, you know, uh, psychiatrists on how to interview child victims because then there are issues that might come up, or just to make sure that as you engage with someone, you do not, you know, do more harm and you do not have uh, instances. And what, ha what happens when someone, you know, is re-traumatized or, that, you know, what they went through comes through. So that's another thing that we talked about, that we had to learn. And then in terms of um, what, the, what I believe the value of... Uh, of the victims participating in the trial was. Uh, one, on the legal side of it, uh, I, I would think that uh, it brought attention, our team and the engagement that we had with the victims and the information that we got from them brought attention to a lot of issues that were not earlier captured by the different parties that were already participating. And an example of that is, uh, the, the crimes relating to sexual and gender-based violence, for instance. If you, uh, Salome, you mentioned some of them earlier, you know that they involve uh, sexual slavery or within the context of abduction. But along the way, our engagement showed us that many people were victims of sexual and gender-based violence within you know, during the period of the attack or within the, the camps. They did not necessarily have to be abducted to be victims. And along Side that we also learned that there were also very you know quite a number of male victims of sexual and gender-based violence which hadn't earlier come out in the trial. So that was another that was one aspect that uh, the victims contributed to the to the trial and then um, also sort of giving a human face to what goes on to the trial in the trial. So yeah. it's not some abstract thing that happens, you know, in the Hague, but it's sort of something that relates to an individual. For instance. We had many testimonies of people, you know, carrying loads. I think all of us had of people had forced to, you know, to carry loads. They were abducted and taken to carry loads. But what does that mean for these people? And then we have on the other side victims coming up and telling us that I have chronic chest pain, I have chronic, you know, headache. And that is the relationship between what the prosecution is presenting in the court as far as concerns the crime and then what the effect is and the impact is along, you know, on the lives of uh, the people that we represent. And I think that was very important. So, and one of the, I think the most profound things that happened during the reading of the judgment on the fourth was when the, the you know, the president took time to read some of the names of the, the victims uh, and some of the experiences that they went through. I think that was very important because then everyone uh, 
one thing that I know that we have talked about is the importance of being heard and hearing either someone that they know being mentioned or someone something that they know the experience was very important. And after the judgment, we had many people calling us and giving us that, that uh, happy, you know, with what happened. And they believe mm -hmm. that, you know, the witnesses that were presented and the information we shared was very good in as far as representing their interest. And I hope I have enough time for this last point. <laughs> but um, the other thing uh, that I think was very important was the other side, on the side of victims, what does it mean for them to represent, to be, you know, to participate? And one, mm -hmm. I think, is the psychological benefit that uh, many times is overlooked. Uh, one, I think all of them across the board have shared the importance of being recognized that they experienced harm and, you know, they went through suffering. And it's important that people know. They might not, sometimes they might say the government needs to know international community or the ICC, but that recognition of the harm that they experience is very important. And I think for the 2,600 plus people that we engage with, that is something that came through and it's something that we continuously made sure that was reflected in the trial. And then the other thing is also the importance of talking with someone, you know. Um, I think one thing that we might have not thought about in depth was the fact that for many people, talking to their legal representative was the first time they ever engaged on what they went through. And there are some interviews which involved someone failing to speak and breaking down. And that was also important. And we have had people come out later, you know, in the course of the trial telling us that I feel so much better now that I've spoken to you. I feel... Um, I, and you also see it, you know, with some people in the beginning, they were not really present during the meeting, they wouldn't engage, but afterwards they're more confident in how they engage and how, the, you know, the kind of questions they give and the kind of answers that they give when you're consulting with them. So I think those are some very important aspects that I think going along, especially for the Ugandan context, it will be important for us to sort of uh, borrow and learn from and see how we can, you know, work in the, the trials that are before the ICD. Uh, Solomi, if I have time and if I've forgotten anything kindly, <laughs> let me know and then I can speak on. If it's not, I can join later when others have had an opportunity. Thank you very much. Let me first start by saying the Ongwen's verdict represents um, the legal side of justice, okay. which is good and it brings, it's useful in dealing with the criminal, criminal, uh, criminal issues. Uh, which is also important for the prevention of future occurrence. I mean, uh, those who like, like to do the same thing will refer to this, which is also important. But um, to me, personally, I believe in social justice. So Ongwen's verdict, to me, is something that I can say I am not satisfied with it in a sense that it is not relating directly to victims that have been, um, have been um, um, perpetrated. Because right now, even if Ongwen is... When has been sentenced, I can not yet sentence, but the case is going on and we seem to know that he did this and that. But what will that impact on the victims that are currently here back home? Personally, I see it will not bring any change to me because I see that the change the change that I want is seeing that a victim's life is repaired, is reinstated to somewhere. Because when it's just one person, I've been saying it's just like a drop in the bucket. There are so many others that we as victims live with them every other day and we see them just one person the conviction of only one person will not change their life all that i want to see is 
the lives, the pain that victims are going through, the lives that have been set back. You see, someone, you, you, you said, you, you mentioned when, when I was abducted uh, at a very early age. I can say I wouldn't be here if I was to stay at home. I would maybe mm-hmm. be doing something else apart from doing this work all day. Something, being someone else somewhere. Someone who has not gone through that pain, you know? And this, mm-hmm. for me, justice to me means repairing the lives of victims, reinstating them, at least trying to lift up their lives from the way they are now. Those who are in pain, those who need psychosocial support, those who need reparation, reparation is needed for everyone, right? But this justice, even right now, I can see. Like, I see like as if nothing has been done because this is just one. We need more. And now what next after this? Nothing has been changed. What will ICC do in these places to these other people who are suffering? Mm-hmm. This is what I want to know. Uh, I think, um, let me give you my experience during the time of uh, when I was with Connie. That was when this Connie sent his, one of his commander who came and abducted us. And I really witnessed a lot of things. The very thing which those commanders were doing, it is the very thing which Ongwen was also doing. So there's no doubt for that. For me, it is true Ongwen committed some, some of those offenses. And I personally witnessed even from other commanders doing the same thing. These commanders had powers all over. They had the power to, to rape, they had the power to abduct, which I also witnessed because when I was still there, they were abducting on daily basis. They were forcing ladies into marriage, which I also witnessed. So I think to a certain extent, Ongwen needs Ongwen has to, to face the law because he did it. If he doesn't face the law, people will not still be convinced that the law is taking place. So let Ongwen be judged according to the account which he did. But I personally, if I'm to give my opinion, I would say if there's a, any opportunity for the appeal, for the appeal, let the appeal be done in public court, just like bringing the court to where the scene, where he did the committed what, the offenses, so that his very, very own people can judge him on site. But the idea of convicting him from ICC, I don't think it's going to solve any, make any difference because still people will not believe. Me, I want to see when one day after serving, serving his, his sentence, we want to mix with him because as I talk, there are very dangerous people who are mixing with the, with the community in, in Gulu, as I talk. The likes of Banya, the likes of Oloya Amuri. Oloya Amuri was extremely dangerous. Now he's, he's a saved man. He's moving freely in Gulu now. He's the gentleman who walked from Gulu up to Namugongo. If you can recall, there's a gentleman, uh, a catechist, I think. So to me, I think let him went first, the law. Let it be an example for us to see that law is taking place. Thank you. As I've mentioned, I'm Vincent Loyet, one of the victims uh, who attended the verdict on the 4th of February 2021. Indeed, for sure, people were very many. People kept him. We need to mobilize the fellow victims to come very early in the morning, though it was scheduled to take place by midday, mid-morning. Indeed, we were very much attentive, following the counts one by one up to the last dot. And people clapped that and so much after real- realizing that out of 70 counts, and scored 61 out of 70. When you make it uh, mathematically, it could be like he has scored 81, 87%, which is so great. Secondly, we as victims, we appreciated, or we still continue appreciating the International Court for having done, for having protected us from human rights violation. Imagine the kind of killing that when is alleged, irrespective killing all people, people like almost 60 years or 70 years, you kill them. Young kids, children under five years, mothers, 
for me, I feel is very embarrassing and a nasty, a nasty yeah. scene that I've ever seen in my life. So mm-hmm. for all, people were very many indeed, as I mentioned, and we appreciated mm-hmm. that we, we have seen justice that has prevailed on us following all forms of investigation done by the ICC. Others have been done by other sectors for having okay. done all those. And we are very proud having heard from our judges mm-hmm. trying to read, they struggle to read the names of our people who lost their life a number of years ago. So we have been longing to see justice being prevailed on the very day on the 4th, which we appreciated the effort. Secondly, I need also to appreciate other sister organizations as uh, one of the, as Chris has put it, uh, Refugee Project has done a lot in my community by giving medical treatment to our people. To me, I feel it is not enough. We expect a lot of final ruling because you know, in terms of payment, you, you can't live lost. It will never be again anyway. And if I will have to pay, I don't know how much you have to pay, but those ones still surviving. I feel their life, as my oh, as mentioned, it, they need to at least to improve on their life. On the side of their late person, Dominic, I think it is okay for him. Uh, he deserves it, as I said, because it will prevent other leaders who may have the intention to do to doing the same. They have maybe they, they can have that fear. So if a further reference, it will act will avoid the kind of beauty work among our leaders. We are all human beings, irrespective of the color, the size of the tribe made. I'm not regretting anyway. Mm-hmm. Though when is my tribe made, and actually by tribes or Ugandans. So to me, I see international court or ICC, ICCS and international court that cut across respecting mm-hmm. rights of human beings. I thank you so much.